welcome to Crushworthy, the podcast where we talk about the people you should have a crush on. Because not everyone is terrible. My name's Michaela. And my name is Kat. Oh man, we've had some serious technical difficulties once again while setting up this recording today. Yeah. Uh, Skype was not working for us. For some reason, my webcam is a foreign uh, invader that my computer refuses to recognize and accept. (laughs) (laughs) We finally got Google Hangouts to work. We were this close to getting ready to uh, blame it on Mercury being in retrograde. And then we had to look it up just to be sure. (laughs) But it's not. So no. Yeah, there's unfortunately can't use that as a scapegoat. Yeah, there's actually a website called uh, ismercuryandretrograde.com. I think it's like the full name and it, it'll just say like no or yes, make it really easy <laughs> to understand. <laughs> so there have been a few times in the past where I've referred to it. So uh, it came in it came in handy today, but it didn't really make us feel better about ourselves. No, no. It's only really validating when it is. And yeah. it's like, ah, yes, I, I have something, something semi-legit to blame it on. <laughs> But we made it work. Yeah, we made it work. We're here. It's we're finally experiencing like a full day of fall weather, too. It's been kind of rainy all day. Yeah, I woke up this morning and like it's just felt like nighttime still. Yeah, it was 7 a.m. And I was like, no, (laughs) it's cozy weather. (laughs) Yeah, it was nice, though. I'm I'm ready to embrace the fall. Yeah, me too. Um, Because we don't know what it's going to bring. Probably something new and exciting so we'll just we're just gonna roll with it and embrace it lean into it yeah exactly that's really all we can do that's yeah (laughs) that's been 2020 in a nutshell oh yeah just learning to adapt with every hurdle that that comes our way for sure well with that being said should we dive straight into self-love circle sure do you want to go first sure so this week for Self Love Circle, um, I so I'm actually really proud because I started doing what I promise myself every year that I'm going to do but never do, which is start buying Christmas gifts early. Ooh, <laughs> good for you! I, yeah, and I am like being extremely organized about it. <laughs> like I created a whole spreadsheet with like austin's family my family and then like friends so that i can like start like ticking it off like as i get stuff for people and we'll see if i can like keep that up as we (laughs) as we approach the holiday season but i figured i was like you know i don't want like this year's already stressful enough and like austin and i we we enjoy the holidays not so much austin (laughs) but like i i genuinely enjoy the holiday season just because it's it's just a feel-good season but like we always postpone buying gifts until the last week and it's always so stressful mm-hmm. and i always say you know next year i'm going to start buying gifts in august and so this <laughs> this past week i was i that is exactly what i did so good for you um, yeah so i got a couple a couple gifts crossed off um and i'm feeling really good about that <laughs> that's awesome yeah. yeah it's that's definitely something that that you're right that is when you said that you like we're already buying it like I felt my anxiety and the anxiety of our listeners like immediately like bolt up for just a second like yeah. oh shit should we should we start planning for this too and it's probably oh not a bad idea at all no but also no pressure because who knows what kind of holiday season it's gonna be like it's 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 yeah, who who knows yeah it, it <laughs> might know. it might honestly be the kind of holiday where you just have to drop off you know gifts for your loved ones and wave from the window which 
hopefully isn't the case, but it's honestly, I think we should just kind of expect that kind of scenario. So anything other than that can be a positive surprise. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, good for Um, you. Yeah, but what about you? Mm, Okay, so my uh, self-love circle is... So I I actually just mentioned this last week, but uh, I've talked before about my reading goal for the year. So my goal is 50 books in the year of 2020. And last night I finished book number 37. Nice. Yes, and I just took a few minutes to kind of just sit with the fact that I have stuck with this uh, this goal of mine, this like New Year's resolution, all the way so far through um, August and the beginning of September. And I'm just really proud of myself because I don't think I've ever really stuck with a resolution this long. And um, it's not, you know, something, it's not a chore to me. It's not something that like I struggle with. The hardest part is honestly trying to pick the next book off my list that I want to read. <laughs> but uh, I'm really just proud of myself for chugging along. And, you know, according to Goodreads, I'm three books ahead of schedule. So I think once I hit 50, I'm just going to see how many I can finish before the year's over. But yeah. I'm I'm just really excited about it and just finding new books that I'm absolutely falling in love with has yeah, been really you should awesome. Be. You should be so proud of yourself. Thank like you. that cuz that is that's a substantial goal because 50 books in a year, that's like on average like pretty much like a like a book a week mm-hmm. almost. And so that's like the fact that you're ahead of schedule is crazy. Like you've been cruising through books. <laughs> and and you've found so many good ones. Yes. So many of the books that you've read this year are books that I truly and genuinely want to read myself. Yeah, there have been very few books that I didn't enjoy, but um, there have been a few cases where I just like try to get through a book as fast as I can because I'm not loving it. But and I honestly, I would not be able to do it without audiobooks. Like that's been my main, uh, the main way that I've been consuming literature since the beginning of the year, because I, I, you know, I have a pretty long commute to and from work, which helps. And, uh, you know, when my husband's out of town, it helps because I've got, you know, something I can have on while I'm cleaning or just hanging out on my phone. And so it's been an easy way to enjoy books. And uh, I love that it's like now kind of considered like a legitimate way to read because there was always kind of a stigma in years past about how, oh, you're not really reading unless you're reading a physical copy of it. (laughs) That's that's, that's so, I don't even know where, I don't even know why there would be that, that stigma against it because it's, it's, you're still consuming the story Mm -hmm. and that's, and that's what matters. Yeah. Like I promise I can read, like you don't have to pretend like it's, you know, I mean, I just don't have the time to like sit on my couch with a book when I've got other things I also want to focus on at the same time. Yeah, so exactly. I think it's just like, oh, some people just want to like gatekeep the weirdest things. And I, and I think that books for some reason are one of them. Yeah, people have nothing better to do. It's just some elitist BS. Exactly. So yeah, I'm just enjoying that. Uh, I'm currently trying to, to figure out what I want to read next. I've got a couple options I want to, you know read some of the reviews for and see what, you know, people I know who've read them have thought. So I'm, I'm just really excited to to keep that going for the rest of the year. That's wonderful. Thank you. You should, you should be incredibly proud of that. I Yeah, I really am. Even though I haven't made it yet, I, I know I will. So like knowing that like I've kept with this, you know, past March is like a big success of mine. <laughs> 
that's 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 wonderful do you have any any way that you plan to celebrate like once you meet that goal are you just gonna bask bask in the knowledge that you achieved it or are you gonna are you gonna treat yourself i should come up with some kind of of reward for that but nothing nothing springs to mind right now but You've given me a great idea uh, because I will look for it. We talked about this last week. I will look for any reason to like reward myself. <laughs> and this is actually like something legitimate that I, I, I feel like I, I will re- deserve a well, you know, well-deserved treat afterwards. <laughs> so maybe I'll start thinking about what I can do for that. Yeah. Yeah. You will definitely have earned it. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's my self-love circle. Fabulous. Uh, do we want to dive right in? To Crush Corner? Yeah. yeah. All right. You are first this week, Michaela. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about this person because so I I am a huge, huge animal lover. And so I've been wanting to talk for a while about somebody who's made huge strides, like just in in as far as, you know, environmentalism and conservation. And so today I'm very excited to be talking about the one and only Dr. Jane Goodall. Uh, who is a pioneering primatologist and anthropologist and the world's leading expert on chimpanzees. Uh, She is most famous for her 60-year-long study of wild chimpanzees in Gombe, Tanzania, uh, which was the very first study of its kind. Uh, the study also led her to be the only human ever to be fully accepted in chimp society, which I think is a really cool... That is so cool. <laughs> it's a really, really cool thing to be able to brag about. Uh, she's done just incredible... Uh, you know, animal uh, conservation and environmental conservation work through the founding of the Jane Goodall Institution um, and the Roots and Shoots program, which seeks to engage young people in environmental and humanitarian issues around the world. Um, and she's also served on uh, the uh, the board of Non-Human Rights Project. She's a UN messenger of peace, as well as an honorary member of the World Future Council. So she's just lived an incredible, an incredibly full and passionate life. And wow. so I'm very excited to to dive in a little bit more, starting I, with her I early wanna, life. I want to join a chimpanzee society so bad. I, I do, but <laughs> I don't. I'm sure it's extremely <laughs> difficult to, to achieve that. But that just sounds like in right now, in our current society, I would much prefer a chimpanzee society, I think. I I think so. I think so. I think it would be simpler mm-hmm. and it would make it would make more sense. Yeah. Better <laughs> dynamics, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know who's in charge in that case. You don't have to worry about, you know, politics. Well, I guess in a way you would have to, but Yeah. Yeah. It's complex in its own way, but yes. definitely definitely simpler than human society. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> So Jane was born in 1934 and grew up in England. Uh, When she was still small, her father gave her a stuffed chimpanzee named Jubilee in lieu of a teddy bear. And Jane cites this stuffed chimp as the very beginning of her love of animals. And she still brings Jubilee with her to conferences and other public appearances, which is just so adorable. I love that. I know. I've seen, I have seen pictures of Jane Goodall with her little stuffed Jubilee, but I did not know that that was a stuffed animal from her childhood and that just warms my heart um so growing up jane had a deep and enduring love for animals and was committed to creating a life in which she could live among them specifically she always dreamed of living among the great apes in africa 
um, with no thought of marriage or children. Her chief desire in life was basically just to be surrounded by animals. Um, when she was old enough, she became the secretary of a famed Kenyan paleontologist named uh, Louis Leakey, who was uh, ready to launch a project to study wild chimpanzees in, Gom in the Gombe Stream National Park in Tanzania. He believed that by understanding chimpanzees, uh, scientists might better understand how early evolution human communities might have functioned. But he didn't want a traditionally trained scientist biased by the rigors of academia. Instead, he wanted someone who had an open and curious mind, a love for learning, and an unwavering passion for animals. So he, he selected Jane for this study. Um, so at 26 years old, with no college degree or any formal en education on chimpanzees, uh, she she set off for Gombe to live to live among the chimpanzees, Damn. which is amazing. <laughs> That's you know it does it, it makes sense to me that he would want someone with that kind of mindset because I feel like in a lot of areas of academia, like you you just get so blinded by like the facts and the statistics and you know that you lose the the heart behind the actual work and just like that natural passion for what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And I and I think that, well, because there are so many things that were kind of the prevailing thought at the time that were wrong. And I think that it was Louis Leakey had a sense that, you know, he needed somebody who was unbiased to be able to go in and just, yeah, not be weighed down by preconceived notions or preconceived ideas about anything. Mm -hmm. um, and Jane definitely you know, she, even though she didn't have a formal education, she had this absolute passion and drive to, to, to do it. And so she was perfect for, for the role. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So her research was groundbreaking on a variety of fronts. The first being that she gave each of the chimps that she observed names rather than numbers, as was the customary scientific practice at the time. And numbering rather than naming was supposed to preserve objectivity and keep researchers from emotionally investing too much in their subjects, which makes sense. But as she observed the chimps, she came to understand their complex social hierarchies and behaviors and soon realized how very much like humans they were, you know, replete with their own distinctive personalities, motivations, and emotions like love, affection, grief, and sorrow. Uh, but she was often criticized for her naming conventions, um, as well as for insisting that the chimps were as human-like as she claimed, as, you know, the prevailing thought was basically that chimps were incapable of anything resembling intelligence. Whoa. <laughs> because, because of human hubris. Yeah, like, how do you observe a chimp for more than five minutes and not realize how human-like they are? Yeah, I, I, I don't understand. Well, you know, it's interesting because this... It's it's hard to believe at the time. It's how it's hard to believe now because we have so much unfettered access to to wildlife. Mm -hmm. But at the time, back in the uh, 1960, which is when this study started, this had never been done before. Nobody had ever spent a long enough amount of time in the wild observing chimpanzees to have really any real knowledge about them. And so it, it's it, a lot of it was just kind of based on assumptions. And a lot of the experts at the time were people that hadn't even spent time among chimpanzees. It was just kind of conjecture. Oh my so God. Jane was among the first to actually, she was the first real, per, like real human to be able to observe them in their natural habitat. And so that's very, very cool. That is uh, really cool. 
Yeah. So in her research, Jane Goodall also discovered that chimpanzees uh, use tools like sticks to fish out termites from their hills. And this was a landmark discovery because up until that point, it was believed that only humans had the capability to create tools. Oh my uh, god. It's, yeah, it's, it, <laughs> humans are just so prideful. It is. Which, <laughs> and she, you know, when she reported her findings back to Louis Leakey, who was the one that sponsored this study to begin with, his response was, we must now redefine man, redefine tool, or accept chimpanzees as humans. <laughs> which I th- which I think is a pretty drastic response. Yeah, no one's asking like, for that, sir. <laughs> no, and I, it's like it's it's a prime example of again human pride and just wanting to believe that humans are in some way like super special, like God chosen favorites, and like the end all be all of everything. And it's like, well, you know, if if other creatures have the capability of being even remotely as intelligent as us, well, then they. It it like sends humans into like an, an instant identity crisis. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, and and that's exactly what happened because she got Jane Goodall got so much backlash for even suggesting that chimpanzees were capable of building tools, even though that's like exactly what she observed and she you know had you know documentation that no this is this is what they do like <laughs> I don't know what you want from me this is this this is how things are. Um, so in 1962, two years after Jane first arrived in Gombe, Louis Leakey sent a photographer, um, Hugo Van Lewick, to document Jane's research. And at first, Jane wasn't too thrilled, uh, as she saw, you know, Hugo's presence as a sort of intrusion, because up until that point, she had been working primarily alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, but eventually she warmed up to him and the two fell in love and ended up getting married in 1964. Yes, it's like a classic love story. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And in 1967, they ended up having a son, uh, Hugo Eric Lewis, who they named, uh, they nicknamed him Grub, which is... (laughs) That's (laughs) flattering. It's, well, it's really funny because in the documentary that I watched, uh, when doing research, they never actually referred to Jane's son by his actual given name. They only referred to him as Grub. And so it wasn't until I did a little bit more research that I found out that his name wasn't just Grub. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. And I just, I thought that was an interesting choice to like for, because Jane herself, who was interviewed for this documentary, referred to her own son as Grub, like exclusively. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I, I find that to be a very interesting choice. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you like read that and then and then think like, I have to find out if this is this person's actual name. And is that why you did the research for it? Well, I I, I stumbled upon it because like I was doing research into Hugo Van Lewick, her husband. Mm -hmm. And then they had a little bit more information about the son. And they referred to his son as Hugo as well. And I was like, oh, I thought their son was just named Grub. And then like I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I, and then it later down in that article it was like oh well he was affectionately named grub he was affectionately nicknamed grub and i was like okay that makes that makes a little bit more sense that his you know christian name wasn't just grub oh, I love um, it. but it's it's re- it's really funny it's funny considering the fact that Jane named the chimpanzees that she observed like perfectly normal human <laughs> names <laughs> like <laughs> Like, she named them, like, Flo and Flint and, like, David Greybeard, but oh then she God. called her own human child Grub. <laughs> and 
good. Poor Grom. Yeah, I, 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 you gotta feel bad for him, but yeah. he, it's, it's, it's also hysterical. That is really funny. Um, uh, so unfortunately, uh, Hugo and Jane's romance, uh, it wasn't to last mm. as Hugo's passion lied in filming the animals of the Serengeti and Jane was committed to her research in, in among the chimpanzees. And so they, you know, made a long distance relationship last for a little while, but they ultimately divorced in 1974, um, which it was just like, it just kind of fizzled out. Like they were, they, it was like a very passionate romance that they had and then you know just over time they just sort of you know it was love lost between them and so it was sad but it was a very natural yeah progression of their relationship definitely for the best so they could each pursue their you know their other passions in life so i feel like it's a it's worth it to call it quits when they did just so they could be happy doing what they want to do with their lives yeah yeah for sure the cool thing uh, just sort of like a little aside about hugo like hugo's work in the serengeti is so celebrated and he's actually considered one of the most well-renowned natural photographers of all time wow which i thought which i thought was really cool that these two people who, who were just like both like exemplary in their own respective fields found each other got married and I don't know. It just it's just kind of interesting that they were both so talented at both, you know, just at their respective what whatever it is that they did. Yeah, so for sure, just, it's very cool. Um, so in 1977, um, Jane Goodall established the Jane Goodall Institute, uh, which is a global wildlife and conservation organization. Its primary goals are to protect chimpanzees and other great apes from deforestation, poaching, and illegal trafficking, as well as starting education initiatives. Uh, the Jane Goodall Institute also works to improve gender equality and health outcomes through community-centered programs. Uh, its youth program, Roots and Shoots, is designed to engage and excite young people around environmental and conservation issues. And it's actually really cool how this sort of youth program got started because it really began in 1991 when it, when just like a group of 12 local teenagers in Tanzania met with Jane on her back porch and they just kind of had this discussion with her where they passionately discussed a range of problems in their community that were was deeply troubling them at the time like air pollution deforestation and the endangerment of animals including the chimpanzees and jane was so moved by their commitment to address the problems facing them in their communities and so she ended up just sort of being a facilitator for these meetings that became ongoing but the projects and the initiatives were largely carried out by the young people within their own communities and it just sort of became this early prototype for what roots and shoots would then become Um, but i really love this idea of you know just these these local young people addressing these issues that they see in their community and then just taking it upon themselves to do it with just this sort of outside person acting as a resource and a facilitator and i think that's just kind of a really cool idea yeah Um, that's definitely awesome yeah uh, and today, Roots and Shoots, the network has tens of thousands of members in nearly 100 countries, um, all working on local and global community service projects, which I think is just so cool. That is really and, cool. Yeah. And it, it's just, it's, it's, it's impossible to underestimate or to overstate the importance of Jane Goodall just in, in the, uh, you know, in the field of animal conservation and environmental science 
Um, she's served on the board and has spearheaded countless, you know, conservation initiatives all around the world. Um, when she first started her studies in 1960, she was one of very few women working in the field. And now, thanks in large part to her efforts, women make up about 50% of scientists studying primates, which is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and, wow. And, and she's still, like, she's still kicking. Like, at 89 years old, she continues her life's work, you know, traveling around the world and speaking for pretty much the majority of the year. I think one of the uh, sources that I found said that she travels like roughly 300 days out of the year. So it's, <laughs> and I don't know how you keep up that pace for that long. <laughs> no, that's crazy at 89. Yeah, at 89. And that's just, it's absolutely spectacular. But I mean, there's so many, there are so many projects that she has her hand in that I didn't include in my write-up today, just because like there's there's so, so many of them. She's just, she's such a busy person. Um, but I just love the commitment that she has shown like throughout her entire life to really caring for animals and really seeing and coming to understand how important it is for humans to A, see themselves as no different than animals or rather seeing as seeing animals as no different than humans mm -hmm. and but also at the same time understanding that humans do have this elevated understanding and awareness that it then becomes the responsibility of humans to act as stewards of the earth and the and other species of animals um and she you know more than anyone else i feel like really embodies that and and conti continues to to just do amazing work on that front she, and, uh, like if that's... she if she weren't real like she sounds like she could be like some kind of scientist disney princess like you know yeah. it's it's like i can picture the movie now where it's like oh in order to be a successful scientist or a successful conservationist you can't have a heart for the animals you have to look at it through these like cold lenses you cannot connect with them. And she's like, no, fuck you. I'm going to be friends with them. I'm going to be one of them. I'm going to embrace what makes us similar. And she, like, if she hadn't done that, I feel like the view of not having actual, like, empathy for these species that are different than humans wouldn't be as prevalent in, in the field. And I think that she changed the world in that regard. Yeah, yeah absolutely and it's it, it is that it's so important that she did go into this this study back all the way back in the 1960s with a very open mind because if she had you know gone to university and have, and have if she had learned what was known about chimpanzees at the time it really probably would have gotten in the way of her natural instinct and her natural inclination to empathize and to see them as, you know, no different than humans. But it's like, it's just, I, and we've talked about this on the show, I, on the show before in terms of just like people, there are certain people where it's just like they're destined for something. Mm -hmm. And it's like, she was destined for this because even before it was for as long as she you know, could remember she wanted specifically to work with chimpanzees. And I don't know, like that when it, when a calling starts at that young of an age and just continues throughout your lifetime, it's like, that's just, that's just what that person was meant to do. And the documentary that I watched for, 
for my research was this 20, uh, 2017 documentary just called Jane. And it's mostly comprised of found footage from her years in uh, Gombe observing the chimpanzees. And it's absolutely incredible because it's real footage of her with the chimpanzees and with Hugo. It's a, it's a lot of Hugo's footage, actually. And it's just, it's incredible to see. Like, some of it's really hard to see also because it's her coming to the realization that, like, it's her wonderment at the, at the society of chimps and how similar they are to humans. But then also the realization of, like chimps are more sim similar to humans than she previously thought in the sense that they're capable of tremendous violence against each other and it wasn't something that she had anticipated but it was something that she you know accepted but and still you know it, and it also just shed so much light on on how you know animal societies work and it's just it's amazing i highly recommend that documentary just because it's it's interest it's very interesting to see this footage of you know this important research that took place during the 60s but yeah that sounds really good and i was just thinking when you were talking about the the violence within these societies like i'm sure part of it was was difficult for her to see not only because it kind of clashed with her preconceived notions of chimpanzees, but I'm sure she was able to see that and immediately identify the common trends between chimpanzees and the cruelty of humankind. And it's just kind of like a reminder, like, okay, yeah, we can be an incredibly violent species ourselves, you know, so, yeah. so that could not have been easy for her. But it's still like the fact that she kind of witnessed it and and still you know kept her fascination and her devotion to chimpanzees is really inspiring yeah and i and i think that's like like you said i think seeing the violence while it was jarring and un, un, in, and unexpected i think it almost also confirmed for her even more how human like chimps are and that it's like you can't it, it's almost she she sees it as pretty much wrong to you know, treat a animal differently than you would treat a human. And she, and that's so evidence because she, she was actually, you know, when I say that she was accepted in chimps and society, like I truly and genuinely mean that they, because the way, you know, I've come to learn that like chimps like have these very specific communities and are very divided. And she was like the quote unquote lowest ranking member of this chimp society wow. and was and was like eventually driven out of the chimp society by like a higher ranking member. Yeah, they're like, I'm done with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, it's just so, it's just so amazing that she and like watching the the real footage of her working with them is so amazing because she really she never really had any fear of of them even though she knew that they were capable of violence she never was afraid she she just wasn't and that's just amazing wow what an incredible woman yeah but that's that's my crush corner for this week thank you so much for bringing her like jane goodall is a name that i think that we have all heard our entire lives kind of you know in any nature documentary we watch or anything we learn about chimpanzees uh, or the study of primates, we always kind of hear her name as, you know, this celebrity in the world of, of, of primates. But it's great learning more about 
just her her drive. I had no idea that she didn't get a formal education in primate studies. Yeah, I, she eventually did. So she she eventually earned her PhD um, in, in I, I don't know what it was specifically, but she did earn, she is technically a doctor, but she is among like the very few people to have like earned a PhD prior to never having earned a bachelor's or any other formal education like she just skipped the the bachelor's and master and just went straight to a phd yeah she like <laughs> and, walked uh, in and was like fuck you i'm jane Goodall. <laughs> yeah <laughs> enroll me in your course well because by yeah. that point i'm sure her work spoke for itself like I, everyone yeah. knew how like inherently how she was like an inherent expert in this field and like they didn't even bother trying to start her off at the beginning you know yeah which is yeah, good exactly. she earned it <laughs> Man, what a fantastic choice for Crush Corner. Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we take a little break and yes. get some refills? Let's get some refreshments. I'm going to pause and feed the cats because it's their dinner time. And we will be right back after this. All, All right. right. <laughs> We're still trying to figure out this count off thing. I think we nailed it this time, though. I think we do. I think we did. I, I'm feeling a lot more confident about it. Yes. Once we established how many numbers we need to count up to, <laughs> I think that we're good. <laughs> All right. Well, it's now time for part two. And Kat's, who are you crushing on this week? I, okay. I am super, super, super excited to talk about my subject this week because this is, uh, you know, occasionally you and I will bring people onto the show that we would consider our forever crushes or people we've like always had a crush on. And this person is definitely on my list of forever crushes. I'm going to be talking about actor, singer, filmmaker, and entrepreneur Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yay! I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. So you probably know Joseph Gordon-Levitt from his roles in movies like 10 Things I Hate About You, Angels in the Outfield, Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, or some of his countless others, other amazing movies. Um, you might also know him as the Golden Globe Award, win Award winner for his roles in the movies 500 Days of Summer and 50-50, or you might even know him as the star that totally killed it on the show Lip Sync Battle for his flawless performance of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. What you might not know about him, however, is that he also won a Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Creative Achievement in Interactive Media and Social TV Experience for arguably the most important project of his life, a project that has put creative power in the hands of people literally all over the world. You might also not know about how he struggles with a severe addiction that many of us also deal with on a daily basis. We will talk about those in a little bit, but first, let's start at the beginning. That was my nice little clickbaity opening. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> Joseph was born in LA, California on February 17, 1981. His parents were among the founders of the Progressive Jewish Alliance, and his father was a news director for a local radio station while his mother ran for Congress back in the 70s for the Peace and Freedom Party. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> His grandfather on his mom's side was a Hollywood film director, and Joseph's older brother Dan was a talented photographer and fire spinner. So clearly, like, passion and drive and, like, trying new things is definitely something that runs in his family. Yeah. Um, it gave him a lot to live up to, for sure. <laughs> so Joseph began acting at the ripe old age of four when he played the Scarecrow in a musical theater production of The Wizard of Oz. Right after that, he was approached by a talent agent who began booking Joseph for roles in commercials and made-for-television films. 
Even though he was out of the gate running with his natural talent as an actor, he said his parents never emphasized fame as something to reach for in life. His family, oh, that's good. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, his family cared more about his well-being and mental health, something I personally wish we could see more of when it comes to child actors in Hollywood. Yeah, it's typically the opposite. Exactly. We're severely lacking uh, on that front. In fact, uh, this was this time when he was booking these roles was when a career-long addiction of getting attention began for Joe. Uh, he would often brag to his friends when he was a kid about his acting roles, and it worked, and it got him attention up until a girl he had a crush on called him a show-off, something he says was completely true but still hurt at the time. Uh, after that, he kind of steered away from trying to use his acting to garner attention and instead tried to focus on acting as a way of creating art. Um, he quickly began scoring larger and larger acting roles, including the 1994 Disney film Angels in the Outfield, which was one of my favorites when I was a kid. It's so... I loved that movie. I but, too. But, so I didn't know that Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in that movie. Yeah, he plays the, the main little, kid. He, he was the little kid? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. I'm going to have to watch that trailer as soon as we're done recording just I so know. that I can <laughs> remember. I wonder he, if that movie's on Disney+. Plus. Oh, it, it, it probably is. I may have to watch it if it is. <laughs> and uh, two years after that movie, he got the role of uh, the character Tommy Solomon on the sitcom Third Rock from the Sun, which ran for six seasons, uh, which I never really watched that show, but I do remember it being on. And I remember seeing him and thinking that he was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> Uh, so after that, there were a few roles here and there, uh, such as the voice of Jim Hawkins in Disney's Treasure Planet and Ten Things I Hate About You. I didn't know. <laughs> I, saw, I saw your eyes get real big there. <laughs> J- Jim Hawkins was like my big crush mm-hmm, in like girl. elementary school. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and he was also in 10 Things I Hate About You, which is a really kind of fun coincidence because these days as he's getting older, uh, he's actually getting uh, like a closer physical resemblance to Heath Ledger, who also starred in that movie. Like, people think that it's shocking how how much he looks like Heath Ledger. Um, but after he did those acting roles, he decided he wanted, to take a, he wanted to take a break from acting to pursue an education and try to find his own path in life without the pressures of Hollywood. Um, in 2000, he began attending Columbia University School of General Studies in New York, where he studied literature, history, the French language, and French poetry. Just, oh, very well rounded. I know. He's uh, the Wikipedia article about him says that he's a francophile because like he loves everything French. <laughs> um, Joseph said that moving from California to New York for school is what really helped him begin growing as a person. However, in 2004, Joseph's love of acting and creating led his heart, and he dropped out of school once again to pursue an acting career. Joseph made a conscious effort at this point to be in quote unquote. Uh, good movies upon his return to acting Uh, and he's played a variety of roles everything from a gay sex worker who suffered traumatic abuse in the movie manic to a high school gumshoe who solves the murder of his girlfriend in the modern day film noir movie brick which is one of my personal favorite movies of all time Um, to the iconic tom from 500 days of summer a character who joseph himself says is not a great person because of the way he projects his expectations of love onto zoe deschanel's character the movie still rocks though i stand by that <laughs> so long as you so long as you can recognize the character flaws of the protagonist <laughs> i i saw that movie i feel like i've seen that movie in bits and pieces and i don't think i've ever seen the full movie it's very good but it's definitely one of those movies where the 
the lesson of it is definitely the danger of projecting your expectations. It kind of takes that manic pixie dream girl, uh, uh, you know, trope and kind of shows the viewer how it backfires completely, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I think was really, really good. It's a really good movie. Um, but okay, so I could go on and on about his acting resume because the list is seemingly endless, but instead I'd like to switch gears and talk about some of the work he's done behind the camera. In 2009, Joseph's first film as a director, Sparks, was selected for the Sundance Film Festival as part of a program for short films. He completed another short film, Morgan and Destiny's 11th Date, The Zeppelin Zoo, which premiered at South by Southwest in 2010. In 2013, Joseph wrote, directed, and starred in the film Don John, which also premiered at Sundance. After that premiere, the film was acquired by Relativity Media, and Joseph was floored. He said, I always intended this to be a movie for a mass audience. Everyone told me it was a long shot. I couldn't possibly be more grateful. While he was making it big on the screen again, I think what was quietly building in the background of Joseph's life is arguably the most important project he's had a hand in, and it's what really makes him crushworthy, in my opinion. Social media was clearly not a healthy place for Joseph to thrive as an actor because he dealt with a lot of social media addiction. Um, But that doesn't mean technology and art couldn't go hand in hand. Back in 2005, Joseph and his brother Dan decided to try and start a website called Hit Record where they could post videos and receive instant feedback from their audience. Eventually, the pair decided to open up the platform to other creative people, and it became a message board for networking and collaborating between artists. The community began growing, and in 2010, their project was launched at the Sundance Film Festival. Hit Record now had a new website with professional production methodology, allowing contributing contributing artists to be financially compensated for their work. He invited audiences to collaborate with them in the filmmaking process by creating, recording, editing, and remixing each other's works with the goal of creating cohesive, short, multimedia works that would have a special screening at the end of the festival. That's so cool. It's so cool. That first year, Joseph sent out $50,000 worth of checks to all of the project's contributors. And we will circle back to hit record in just a moment. But unfortunately, tragedy struck. Joseph's co-founder of hit record and older brother Dan passed away at the age of 36. Oh, no. There's a lot of speculation over Dan's death with unsubstantiated rumors running rampant about drug use. Joseph quickly squashed these claims, saying in a statement that the phrase alleged drug overdose comes with the implication that this will be the assumed cause of death. Instead of sharing this personal family matter with the public, Joseph instead wanted people to remember how Dan lived and what a beautiful person he was when he was with us. He created a blog post on Hit Record where people can contribute projects to Dan's memory, whether it's pictures they've drawn of him, songs written and inspired written, uh, inspired by Dan, and more. Even though Joseph's a celebrity and grew up in the spotlight, he began having what he calls an allergic reaction to the way actors' personal lives are turned into fodder for entertainment, which is definitely a real problem. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's, it's so sweet that he, you know, has that, you know, homage to his brother and that, you know, that initiative. And I completely empathize with his, his, you know, disgust with, you know, I, I can't imagine what it must be like to have other people speculate about the death of your own family member. Yeah, when it, it is it, it, essentially so private. Yeah. Yeah, and and yeah, it makes you think about, like, when an actor passes away, uh, no matter how it happens, like, everyone just jumps in on trying to find out the truth, and we don't even think about why we need to know so badly, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, like, a, a like a public narrative kind of solidifies about them, mm-hmm. like, their legacy is then 
kind of dictated by the public, which must be so sickening for people who actually knew and loved that loved that person. Absolutely. Uh, so I mentioned earlier about how Joseph didn't consider social media a healthy option for him. And this comes with him recognizing his own extreme addiction to it, something he talked about in a TED Talk called How Craving Attention Makes You Less Creative. In his TED Talk, he talks about the concept of getting attention versus paying attention. I think that our creativity is becoming more and more of a means to an end, he said, and that end is to get attention. Joseph found himself doing what he had caught himself doing as a child, using his fame to garner attention. He would actually try to convince himself that the reasons he would gain thousands of followers on social media was because he had a way with words and not because people just liked him in movies. (laughs) Yeah, he found it having a negative impact on his creative process. And I, I have this quote by him and I absolutely love it. I would be sitting there reading a script and instead of thinking, okay, how can I personally identify with this character or how is the audience going to relate to this story? I'm like, what are people going to say about this movie on Twitter? And what will I say back that will be good and snarky enough to get a lot of retweets, but not too harsh because people love to get offended and I don't want to get canceled. These are the thoughts that enter my mind when I'm supposed to be reading a script and trying to, you know, be an artist. (laughs) He discussed how sites like Facebook and Instagram are just selling attention. That's that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. There's so much in that quote that I think is very revealing oh. about so much. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, but he said that the more attention you get on sites, the more attention those sites have to sell. It trains you to crave that attention and to get stressed out when you're not getting enough of it. He's even said that he feels a genuine shame for his low number of followers on Instagram because he didn't join it until after The Dark Knight Rises came out. And he'll look up other actors, see they have a, a higher follower count, and feel terrible about himself. Huh. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting to, to I guess, acknowledge that celebrities feel that way as well. Because I know that, you know, us commoners feel that way <laughs> from, t- from time to time. But it's, it's interesting that that still plagues the, you know, people that you would think, you know, wouldn't have a problem with it at all. And so that's it's very interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, and and and, and, and tragic and sad. It is. But it's it's amazing that he recognizes that in himself mm-hmm. and he he has tried very hard to kind of reshape what hit record is as a response to this. So the hit record project or now it's a platform uh, which is fantastic. It has a focus on being creative and finding a flow to one's work, focusing on being an artist instead of thinking of garnering attention. One major key component to hit record is that it forces artists to see each other as collaborators instead of competition for attention. Instead of trying to use the internet as a way to compete, he wants it to be used to find people you can work on these projects with so we can all work together and protect each other from these unhealthy mindsets. He says that even though he separated himself a lot from social media, that sometimes even now he'll catch himself getting caught up in the attention, but that he continually tries to have the mindset of, regardless of how much attention I do or don't get for it, I'm happy I did it. Um, and that's it, so that's so wonderful. I know. I love that. And I, I think I got I really have to admire him for that, for being so self-aware of that. Absolutely. Because you know like he's talking about something that everybody experiences but that everybody kind of just gets caught up in and doesn't necessarily pay too much attention to but it's like he genuinely like is he genuinely sees how it affects him Mm -hmm. and wants 
to actively fight against it and that's wonderful yeah i think a lot of that too has to do with the fact that um he played edward snowden and uh i think in doing research for that role he discovered a lot about just the the mechanics of social media and the information that they can gather from you and how they kind of push this drug that is social media attention onto you and i think that kind of spooked him and made him kind of recognize the dangers of it um which i think it's great that he and i love that he doesn't consider himself cured of this addiction like it's still something that he struggles with and it's an addiction that I, i think that a lot of people would deny that they even have because they don't think it's affecting them Mm-hmm. But it definitely is. It's definitely affected me in the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So uh, in an attempt to keep his private life more private, Joseph doesn't talk about his life outside of his career and creative endeavors. We know that he's married to Tasha McCauley, co-founder and CEO of, ro- of a robotics company called Fellow Robot. And the pair have two children, prompting Joe to temporarily leave acting again to focus on raising his family and being a good dad. And that's it. That's really all we need to know. Like, I don't even think he's ever released the names of his children just because, you know, he wants his privacy and he deserves to have it, frankly. Yeah, Yeah. that's so sweet. Mm -hmm. He just sounds like a guy who just has his priorities straight. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I bet he's a, a fantastic husband and father. Um, So I've got a couple things that I want to finish up uh, talking about regarding Hit Records uh, projects. There's a project right now that actually just ended a couple weeks ago, but it's uh, one of their most recent projects called The Class of 2020. Um, Hit Record has a new YouTube series called Create Together Hashtag With Me. Um, And this this, uh, Class of 2020 project is a three-part series on it. Um, it documents the process of how the project came to be, the people who contributed to it, and how it all started. So it started when Joseph found a Texas high school music teacher on Hit Records website named Ben Perez. Ben had started a project called Quarantine Beats, a video that featured Ben creating music by hitting pots and pans, opening and shutting the microwave, and just doing whatever he could with stuff he had around the house to create music. Ben had posted a video of himself talking about what it's like staying home and trying to be creative, and Joseph reached out to him via video chat to talk about turning his Quarantine Beats video into a larger project. But when the pair began talking, the conversation turned into a talk about the students who were kicked out of school and denied all the fun parts of the going-to-school experience because of having a quarantine. Ben shared the beginnings of a project he had been working on that involved him reading a melodic, poetic letter to his senior students with keyboard accompaniment, trying to lift their spirits up and urging them to embrace the memories of the fun times they had shared in the classroom. Joseph immediately asked if he could hear what Ben had so far, and Ben played it, and Joseph was totally moved. And his first reaction was, we have to make something. (laughs) Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, and you can actually see, like, his reaction on the YouTube channel. during. He's like, we got to, and he gets so excited. He's like, we have to do something with this. Um, ben said that he had, in- had intended to send the project to other teachers to pass along to their own students, and Joseph's reaction was, that would be really cool, dude. We could get other teachers to join in on that. Do you want to start a project and do it? <laughs> <laughs> well, how how surreal for for this person to just have just to have been on this platform mm-hmm. and just, you know, creating, you know, just something 
for you know just something to do in quarantine and then just to be approached by joseph gordon right and then all <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're like launching this <laughs> this project exactly that's amazing so ben and joseph asked teachers to contribute their own personalized letters to their classes of 2020 they asked students to write letters about their own experiences musicians to build on the melody that ben had begun on the keyboard singers artists animators and more to collaborate in any ways they felt they could for this music video Ben's own students were among the contributors to the project, including students playing percussion that Ben himself had taught them during class. Oh, that's so sweet. I know. The final pro- project is available for viewing now on YouTube, and it includes Ben's reaction after watching it for the first time, obviously with tears in his eyes. Oh my god, I, I'm definitely going to look that up. Yeah, he's recording. He says like the thing, the moment that really got him was when he could like recognize his own students in the video or hear their vocals or their percussion, which I think is just beautiful. Yeah. Um, as of now, uh, Hit Record has published books, put out records, created content for video games, created a television show that won an Emmy, and has even produced television commercials that have played during the World Series. Every time a project is successful and makes money, the artists get fairly paid. As of right now, Hit Record has, has paid over $3 million to contributors. The point here is just to be creative with other people, Joseph says on the website's video, which I think is just beautiful. Um, the only other project I want to talk about is the one that I actually sent you a couple days ago. Uh, it's a short film called First Stars I See Tonight, which is also available on YouTube. Pretty much everything I think that they've done is available either on um, Hit Record's website or on their YouTube channel. Um, so First Stars I See Tonight, first of all, it makes me cry every time I watch it because it's so beautiful. It's, it's so moving. I oh love my it. God. Um, it's a short three-minute film that came out in 2014, and... This is kind of like the chain of uh, how the collaborator... I found the breakdown of like how people contributed to it. So I thought it'd be really cool. So it started with a text record user Roswell Gray wrote about the first time she saw the stars when she was 16 due to a degenerative eye... Um, like a congenital eye defect, I think is basically what she had. I forget the actual name of it, but she does say what it is in the video. Um, Joseph himself adapted the story into his script, and user Cat Smash from Scotland recorded the narration. Actors Elle Fanning and James Patrick Stewart were shot acting in front of a green screen, and a ton of visual artists began to illustrate the world around them. The animator with the username 12.42 from the UK took the visual contributions and animated them together. User Megan Carnes from the US composed a musical score, and musicians from all over the world played along. It was the short, the first short film featured on the first episode of Hit Record on TV, and that's the show that went on to to get an Emmy. So I just I love seeing that breakdown and seeing how how many people contributed, including like pretty famous actors. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, the story itself is so beautiful, and even though it's three minutes, like the amount of time that must have gone into everyone contributing and putting all that effort in there and putting their own skills into it is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah, it's truly, it truly seems, it's like even these like, you know, big name celebrities like see the value in this and it's like they see the value in contributing to something purely because like you want, you 
you're passionate about it. Exactly. And it's like it is a passion project mm-hmm. and they see the beauty in it and they want to be a part of it. And I think that that's so beautiful. Yeah. It's it's really fascinating just how Hit Record works. I actually downloaded the app on my phone just because I wanted to look more into it. And as soon as you sign up, it's like, hey, what kind of creative things are, are you into or what do you enjoy doing? Do you like writing? Do you like editing? Are you a musician? Do you paint? Do you do stop motion? All this stuff. And then you can kind of just tick off whatever your interests are. And then the first thing it had me do is like, cool, uh, you like writing. Um, can you write like a one or two sentence story about this picture of a space of, of like a, an astronaut that someone drew? So I'm like, yeah. So I like wrote something and it got contributed, you know. That's so, so cool. Yeah. So whoever started that project, you know, all they were looking for is contributions in a form of like a one or two sentence story about this astronaut. And, you know, if you go to that project, it'll show you what stage of development they're in, like what they're looking for, when they need it by, what the deadlines are and how it's going to be used. It's really cool. That's that's so interesting. That sounds like just the the perfect, the perfect way to collaboratively make Mm -hmm. art. Yeah. Like that just that just sounds like Joseph Gordon-Levitt like just struck gold when mm-hmm. he, you know, developed that idea. That's so cool. Yeah, I think it's it's absolutely phenomenal. I think it's it's like just going through the app was like going down a rabbit hole. Just seeing you could either start your own project and, you know, put the feelers out there looking for people to do whatever you're unable to do on your end for this project or you can look at projects freely that need contributions and just hop on to any, you know, and then whoever's starting it can decide who the best fit is, what they want to use. And it's just, it's just so cool. And the stuff that comes out of it is just mind blowing. Like you could spend literally hours just looking at the stuff that they come up with. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. And it sounds like, it sounds like, honestly, it sounds like the answer to writer's block Yeah, or, or any kind of artistic block because it's like, you know, you can be work, you can come to a block in your own project and it's like, well, I still want to do something. So let me just see what someone else is working on and then get inspired by that. Yeah. And that's so cool. Yeah. And you can build off of that. And then, you know, if you get, if you see something that someone is working on, that inspires something in you, you can just go ahead and contribute and you can just say like, hey, here's something that I came up with that I think would be a good fit. And even if they never use it, like you're still using your creative muscles Mm -hmm. to experiment. I think that is so awesome. Like I'm definitely going to be looking more on that app and who knows, like I might find projects that I want to really contribute to. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm very curious. I'm definitely going to have to check it out. And I, you know, there's, I had no, I honestly had no idea before you, before you told me that you were going to be talking about Joseph Gordon-Levitt today and why specifically you wanted to talk about him. I did not know that this initiative existed and I didn't know just how prolific his career has been. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't know much about him at all, but he is an absolute treasure. He is. (laughs) I just, I love him. You know, from and the I mean, first of all, okay, yeah, the hit record stuff is great, but he's also an incredibly talented actor, and like yeah. his movies are really good. <laughs> I just I just enjoy him wholeheartedly. Yeah, and he's just a cutie. He is he's... such a cutie. <laughs> I I definitely recommend looking up his performance on Lip Sync Battles because he nails it. He he does an amazing job at Janet Jackson's choreography, and it's mind blowing. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> But yeah, he's definitely one of my forever crushes, and I don't think that's ever going to change. 
Oh, thank you so much for sharing him today. I'm so happy to have learned about him. <laughs> I'm going to probably spend the rest of the night. If I can't find Angels in the Outfield uh, to watch, I'm, I might just like go on the Hit Record app and just go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's that's a rabbit hole that I'm definitely definitely gonna go down, yeah. and and <laughs> and because it's just it's it's again it's such an interesting concept, mm-hmm. and if you're a cre- if you're someone who's creative, and like why why wouldn't you? It's like the perfect community and the perfect outlet. Exactly. Like. <laughs> yeah. Ah, <sighs> oh, gosh, I'm like. I was so excited to talk about him that, like, my adrenaline just kind of left me. It fled from me. <laughs> but, yeah. Do you want to go into Infatuation Station? Sure. So, my Infatuation Station this week. So, I thought I thought long and hard about what I wanted my Infatuation Station to be this week. And I finally decided because, like, this is someone that I've been listening to quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. And I'll admit that I'm a little late to the party on this one. Um, but uh, this week, my infatuation station is actually the singer-songwriter uh, Rina Sawayama, uh, who released her, I think it's her debut album, which is titled Sawayama, a little bit earlier in 2020. So I think think i mean quarantine was definitely happening because uh that's when i discovered her and her album was already out then so i want to say it was either february or march that this album came out but it's it's absolutely she's a delight so she is basically this japanese-born british singer-songwriter and she has this genre-defying style um that kind of it combines she sounds a lot like a 90s britney spears oh i love that um, which I yeah I know I I love that too mixed with like electro pop and also new metal and I think uh, earlier this year I actually shared a video you did uh, of her with you yeah which is I her, remember her, yeah it's her song shut the fuck up which <laughs> it's is so good <laughs> which is about like essentially the song is about microaggressions mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just it's so it's so good it's such it's so it's just her it's so like i don't know how to describe it like it's just so well done and so well delivered and if you you really have to watch the music video to really get the full impact of that song because it's just so cringy and so awkward but it's (laughs) it really makes such a statement but i just i love i love her whole album because it is it's very poppy but there are some just like very surprising elements here and there and i would have to say to anybody that like if you're if you haven't yet listened to Sawayama, i would say you definitely need to listen to the songs excess uh and shut the fuck up and snakeskin and those three songs off her album are just choice but you know i really just have to admire her in general for just you know covering topics like you know generational trauma climate change capitalism microaggressions like i said female empowerment fame family and identity which are just topics that i don't feel like are often covered in like mainstream pop music um and i just think that that's absolutely the coolest 
Um, so she, Rina Sawayama, is my infatuation station for this week. She is so cool. I remember when you when you shared her music video with me, and it was like, it, you're right, it, it did have a level of like cringiness to it because you're watching it, and the whole like the whole concept of that video is she's on a, a, a presumably a blind date with this white guy who's like all, everything that comes out of his mouth is a microaggression, and it's just like he thinks that he's like really you know worldly and he thinks that he like understands her culture and it's just like it's like it's like you watch it and you're like i know that person like i i know that own person in my life who does that and it's it's awesome because it's clearly very specific to her experience but you know anyone who you know is like especially like a woman of color i'm sure that they deal with that on a daily basis and like even because even I don't receive that because I'm a white woman and we're kind of privileged to the point of where we don't have to worry about that. It's like we still witnessed it happening and it's like, yeah, oh, the yeah. secondhand like embarrassment for that person who's saying those things is awful. <laughs> yeah. But it's also like her 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 level of sass in that in, in her delivery of the song is also then so gratifying mm-hmm. that it makes up it makes up for the cringe that you endure at the beginning of the music video. Yeah. And it's it's great. It's 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 great. It's very satisfying <laughs> when you watch Hi- it. Yeah. Highly recommend. I love that. But what is your infatuation station for this week, Kat? Okay, if you think you're late to the party on yours, uh, I am decades behind, literally, (laughs) because I have recently rediscovered the joy that is the game Portal. Um, I don't remember if I talked about this a little bit last week, but I started playing the video game Portal on my PC, uh, and it it came out in 2007, so it's been a while. (laughs) It's been a hot minute. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um, it's it's by the company Valve, who originally released it on PC and then later put it out on the uh, PS3. And the first time I played it was on the PlayStation, and this was like probably 10 years ago when I played it the first time. And the hype has long since died down for this game, but there is still a very loyal like fan base. Uh, and the game itself is just this like all like. A little creepy like adventure puzzle game where you utilize portals to transport yourself from place to place and it's pretty easy to understand the concept of it and how it works but the challenges gradually become more and more difficult and all of a sudden you're trying to escape from a malevolent robot who's who just is the sassiest thing you've ever heard <laughs> like the one-liners and the dialogue uh, i guess it's more of a monologue because gladys the the voice of this robot is the only voice in the game at least in the first game and she just gradually throughout the game gets this like very human-like attitude to her where she's very sarcastic and mean-spirited and still like bitingly funny like just like trying to talk down to you and insult you in any way you can (laughs) as you get closer and closer to like escaping this facility and uh one of like one thing that was really cool about revisiting this game is like i forgot about like all of that humor and like the jokes and the 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 monologues and the quotes that you get and it's like you could be facing the most frustrating puzzle in the game and then gladys like pops in and says like i just looked at your test results and it says that you're a terrible person and we weren't even <laughs> testing for that like <laughs> And I can't do it justice because the 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 voice acting is so phenomenal. But 
like even going on YouTube and like looking up like Gladys quotes is hysterical. <laughs> it is so funny. So that has definitely been my infatuation station this week is just rediscovering my love for this game. <laughs> That's that is so funny. I I my I know exactly what you're. I've played Portal a grand total of one time. Oh yeah, <laughs> and so I know a little bit. Uh, and it was years and years ago because I think it was when Austin and I first started dating, mm-hmm. and uh, I was still trying to convince him that I was sort of like a gamer, um, <laughs> <laughs> which was an illusion. <laughs> Um, but it was, it's, it's a, it is a, it is a fun game and extremely challenging, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't know if I ever, I don't remember Gladys. I don't know if I ever got far enough in the game to really appreciate Gladys. Um, but that just sounds so, so funny. (laughs) Just these little, like, it's (laughs) like, it sounds like a game. It's like a game where you could have, could like potentially just be so angry because you can't figure out what you're supposed to do next and then you just get this demoralizing comment yeah exactly from a from a disembodied voice yeah she's so mean and uh she's got these little so she's like the main robot you know she's the security cameras that's watching you that are watching you through this whole thing and um there's some levels where there's there's these little guys called turrets these little mini robots that shoot lasers out and if they see you they will fire at you and they also have their own set of quotes like they'll say like i see you and if you like disappear they'll be like where'd you go like searching and the list of things that they say under different circumstances varies like you never know which which cue you're gonna get from them but i looked it up on wikipedia to like find out like all of the the little turrets quotes which is basically like it's the same voice actor that does the voice of gladys but it's like at a higher pitch, so it's like cuter, but somehow more terrifying. <laughs> and so there's like an instance where if there's a bunch of turrets and you destroy one, like if you knock it over and it breaks, like the other turrets will be like, what did you do to her? Or they'll say like, I understand, or uh, I saw it, it was an accident. Like they just like chime in. Or if you're breaking one, it'll say like, I forgive you, or like, I don't hate you. And like they just try to make you feel really bad. But it's so, like, the deadpan humor in those games is just phenomenal. Cannot recommend them enough. <laughs> That's so funny. Man, what a, what a good infatuation station. I've just been thinking a lot about those turrets. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's going to be it for us today, right? I think so. All right. Well, you guys, uh, if you don't know where to find us... You can find us at Twitter and Instagram at CrushworthyPod. You can email us at CrushworthyPodcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at uh, CrushworthyPodcast. Um, thank you, Arnie Parrott, for doing our amazing theme music. He actually reached his fundraising goal in less than an hour today for his Dang. Kickstarter. But if, wow. yeah, you can still back it. If you go onto our Facebook, uh, you can still get some awesome tier level perks if you contribute to it. But yeah, he he made his goal. It's, Good for him. I'm That's super awesome. excited for him. Um, but you can also find him. I don't know if I said it, but you can find him at atptunes.com. Um, <laughs> so good job, Arnie. Like, fantastic job. I'm super excited to, to see what you're able to do in the future. But yeah, is that going to be it? Did I forget anything? No, I think that about sums it up. All right, guys. Well, until next week, keep on crushing it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>